This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. When we create our camps, who's in my camp, who's not in my camp, who's an insider, who's an outsider, and in this, not only do I do that, but then the outsiders become the enemy. They're the ones I attack. They're the ones I go after. I dispute and I divide. In short, we go to war. That's what our tendency is to do. And most of these things that we go to war over are not spiritual issues. They're not spiritual issues. But here's the issue. The way we handle the issues is spiritual. There are going to be topics you disagree with other believers on as you mature in your faith. But oftentimes, it's not always even a spiritual issue. Colors of carpets, pews versus chairs, how big of a worship team, and whether or not to have coffee at church are all things that have been argued and still are. Today, Pastor Cody is going to remind you to remember to treat others with grace and show the love of God that's in you when there's a disagreement. Christians are meant to build each other up and encourage each other. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 12 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Romans chapter 14 is where we are together today. My name is Cody. I'm the pastor here at Redemption, and it's just a privilege and honor to serve you in the scriptures. I'm excited to open up God's word with you today. I think everyone has strange ideas about what they think marriage is especially when they first get married. Um, there's all these expectations. There's all these ideas. Some of it's very idealistic. This is going to save my life. This is going to make everything so much better. And then you realize something, that you have entered into this relationship where now you and another sinner are trying to create a new family, and it's crazy town, right? And so even though it's difficult and it's crazy and you take two very different people and you try to put them into this new relationship and call this a family, it's insane, but it's God's design. It's what God wants. It's what He has called us to do. And in that, in all that reality, inevitably there's going to be some sort of what I like to call heated fellowship. You know what I mean when I say heated (laughs) Apparently you do. Heated fellowship. (laughs) You may have experienced some of this. I remember very early on in my marriage with my wife, Micah, uh, we had one of these moments of heated fellowship. And as we were, you know, going through all of this, essentially in my mind, I was right and she was obviously wrong. Um, and there were no other valid options than what I was thinking. And so she just had to, you know, she was just being difficult, and I, essentially what I had to do was argue her into submission, but her stubbornness kept her fighting me. Why are you laughing? <laughs> you think this isn't going to end very well, right? Like, this is a bad, you are thinking very poorly. If you're not married, consider this some pre-marriage counseling for you, okay? Uh, just learn from some of my mistakes. I'll show you where the landmines are that I stepped on. So essentially, my loving wife had to tell me that I was only frustrated with her because her opinion and her thought was not my thought, and that she was entitled to her own opinion. And for some reason, that just didn't cross my mind. I thought my opinion was supposed to be her opinion, and when I told her what my opinion was, it was automatically, magically going to make her opinion what I thought. And it hit me in that moment that I was the ridiculous one, not her. I was the one with weird expectations, not 
her. You see, the truth is that there are lots of things in life that are these sort of gray areas. It's not black and white. They're just sort of areas of opinion. They're areas where you have a thought, I have a thought, and you know maybe we have different thoughts on this, and neither of us are necessarily right or wrong. We just have a different idea about it. And God gives direction for us on how to handle these gray areas, these areas where there is no black and white for both ourselves as well as for others. And that's what we're going to be looking at together today in Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. Here's our big idea. Navigating gray areas requires a living relationship with the living God. If you want to do this well, if you want to go through the gray areas of life and you want to navigate this in a proper way that's going to honor other people, it's going to honor the Lord, it's going to be something that is going to be a benefit for you as well, you are going to need a living relationship with the living God. So that's our, our big idea together. So let's read Romans 14. We'll read all 12 verses together in this section and then we'll go back through and break it down. So Romans 14, 1 says this, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. Verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Today, as we look at Romans 14, 1 through 12, we're going to break it down into two sections, two parts. The first is verses 1 through 6, Jesus sets the standard. And then the second part is verses 7 through 12, Jesus is the master. Now Romans 12 through 15 is the section that we're in, right? We've started a new section in chapter 12. And the whole section of chapter 12 through chapter 15 is all targeting the will of God. It's dealing with very practical Christian living. It's an unveiling of the so what or the what now in, in, uh, in the scriptures. But this section is not in a vacuum. We tend to, when we come to these kinds of sections in the Bible that are imperatives or they tell us what to do or they give us directions, we tend to forget that they come not in a vacuum of themselves, but Romans 14 comes after Romans 13 all the way back to the beginning of the book of Romans. So we have an entire letter of context that gives us understanding as to what it is we're looking at. You see, we can't look at Romans 14 and what's stated here and the practical, very practical things in this last quarter of the book of Romans and forget that we got here by going through the previous 11 chapters all the way through the book. You see, here's the conclusion of the book of Romans up to this point. 
Just look back over the time we spend in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters. The conclusion is essentially this. You deserve God's wrath against your sin. That's the black backdrop that's painted in the beginning of the book of Romans. But Jesus took that wrath for you. What an amazing reality. And if you believe this and trust in Jesus' sacrifice for you, you go from being the object of God's wrath to being the object of God's love. You become his beloved. You become adopted into his family. What an amazing thing. And the reality is that adoption isn't just something that is for you. It's something that is through you as well. That God brings you into his family and God says this, if you're my kids, then my kid, my family looks like, acts like a certain thing. Doesn't your family have some characteristics about it? Doesn't your family have some things that are distinguishable that when people see you and your family, they immediately know that that's your family. Those are things that are associated with your family. Maybe it's chaos. You know, they're like, oh, there's that family. Maybe it's another family, you know, or maybe, man, those guys, they are so, they're just high and tight and like there is no movement and, you know, I don't know what it is, but there are certain characteristics that are with your family. So too with the family of God, when you're adopted and brought into the family of God, there are characteristics of being in God's family, stuff that should just come out. But we don't start with action. That's religion. When you start with the activity, when you start with the action, that's religion. And all that does is produces frustration and arrogance. That's all religion will get you. It'll get you frustration because you're not able to do the stuff that you think that you're supposed to do, or your life doesn't look like their life, or the things that are in your life aren't looking the way you think they're supposed to, or arrogance where you see yourself as so much better than those filthy other people. You know those dirty people, those nasty people that you don't want to be around and be a part of? You just puff yourself up as arrogantly, I'm so much better than them. That's what religion produces, and you get that when you start with action. But before action comes belief. And before belief comes knowledge. Here's the way that I like to say it. The right action or the right information produces the right application and that produces the right transformation. If you want the stuff in your life, the actions in your life to be different, you don't start by trying to do what Nike says and just do it. Just try really hard. Just will yourself into being different. Just set that New Year's resolution. Anybody still doing their New Year's resolution? Anybody there? You are, wow, there's one really devoted person in this entire room. We can't will ourselves into change, can we? No, we need something else to happen. So if you want your actions to change, back up. Your beliefs need to change. Here's the truth. Whatever you're doing is a result of what you're believing. You might say you believe something different, but your actions prove your beliefs. And if you want your beliefs to change, you have to go back further. You have to have the right information. And I actually briefly explained that to you when I gave you a synopsis of the book of Romans, didn't I? Our sin makes us condemned before God. That's the information you need. The belief is Jesus took your condemnation. And if you believe that, it changes who you are and what comes out of your life. This is one of the major keys to understanding how life works. Now, this is not only true in the positive, it's also true in the negative. If you believe the wrong information, you're going to have the wrong action. And that's just the way that it's going to come out. Now, while these principles may have some benefit to a non-believer, those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus, the power to truly change is only found in Jesus. 
You can't just kind of know these principles and put them into action and see real transformation. No, we need Jesus to do this in us and through us. And as we're being changed, as we're transformed by the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection impacts your life, sinks into your heart and your mind, and starts to transform you, what happens is your convictions about things, it's going to shift. There's going to be stuff that you're going to be convicted about or stuff that you used to be really convicted about that you're not so convicted about anymore. The things are going to shift in your life. And so that brings us to our first section in Romans 14, verses 1 through 6, that Jesus sets the standard. When we think about our convictions shifting, He's the one that gets to tell us what those are. Look back at verse 1, it says this, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Now this entire discussion, this whole section that we're looking at in Romans 14, even what we're going to look at next week as we finish up Romans 14, is all centered around these two words at the end of verse 1. Doubtful things. If you don't grasp doubtful things, then you can make this section say a lot of stuff that it doesn't actually say. Doubtful things is what we're targeting. And so what does that mean? What are we talking about in terms of the idea of the phrase doubtful things? Well, these are issues in life that don't have a verse. Right? You can't look up a verse for this, and you don't have a clear biblical principle that you can go to to apply. There's just some gray area in this. It's not very black and white. It's very gray. There's nothing in it that is essentially established through Scripture. And there's lots of things in life that are not directly addressed by the Bible. Um, should you go to the movies? You're like, well, kind of maybe. What kind of movie is it? <laughs> It really depends, doesn't it? It depends on, you know, what era you grew up in. I mean, if you go back, I don't know, 60 years or so, it was evil to listen to the radio. It really just depends on what you're talking about, what the stuff is that's going on with that. What about this? Here's one that's really relevant. What about Halloween costumes? Should you wear them? Should you not wear them? Some of you are like getting ready to stand up and go, no, they're evil. And others of you are like, but what if I wear a hot dog costume? And you're like, like, what's right? What's wrong? What's appropriate? Here's one that's sure to divide the room. Apple or Android? <laughs> if you're saved, you're going to go with Apple. If you like headaches, go ahead and buy Android. <laughs> now half you hate me. <laughs> right? It's so easy to pick some of these things. And our natural tendency is to create camps, isn't it? I'm for this, I'm against that. I do this, I don't do that. And we figure out when we create our camps, who's in my camp, who's not in my camp, who's an insider, who's an outsider. And in this, not only do I do that, but then the outsiders become the enemy. They're the ones I attack. They're the ones I go after. I dispute and I divide. In short, we go to war. That's what our tendency is to do. And most of these things that we go to war over are not spiritual issues. They're not spiritual issues, but here's the issue. The way we handle the issues is spiritual. It says it in Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The battle you're fighting isn't that person. That's not what it is. It is a spiritual war that you find yourself in. You are in a spiritual battle. And one of the greatest tactics of our real enemy 
Satan and the minions of demons that are under his sway and under his control, one of the greatest tactics of our enemy is to get us to think that we're the enemy, to get us to fight each other, especially over non-essential issues. We divide, we devour, we get crazy about stuff that really doesn't matter, especially when it comes to gray area issues. Now, to be very, very clear, doubtful things is not stuff that's essential to Christianity. We're not talking about that stuff. So when we say doubtful things, we're not talking about things that the Bible alone is God's Word. The Book of Mormon doesn't count as God's Word. The translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, I can't remember what the New World Translation, that's not God's Word. We're talking about the Bible alone is God's Word. That Jesus is God. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for my sin and is alive Today, that those are some of the essentials of Christianity. When we're talking about the gray areas of life, we're not talking about those. Those are hills that we'll die on. Those are ways that we will divide. Those are ways that we say, you are not in Christ. You are not in the family of God if you are not in those things. And so we're not talking about that. What we were talking about is other stuff within Christianity, like maybe stuff like this. Should we worship God on Saturday or Sunday? Or Thursday, you know, all the above. Like we, I just saw a paid advertisement from a church that uh, said, hey, we're going to do church on Thursdays. And uh, their whole pitch was, don't sacrifice your weekend. I'm like, oh, that's kind of, kind of the wrong motive. <laughs> but whatever, bro. I hope people come. As long as you tell them about Jesus, I hope they come. So who cares? I'm not going to say you got to worship God on Sunday or you're not really worshiping God. Why? Why would we divide over those things? Or maybe music. Should we use an organ? There's actually an organ right there. Should we use the organ? Should it be? Yeah. Does anybody know how to play that? I have no, I have no idea. I could probably make it sound scary. Um, but should we only sing a cappella because musical instruments are evil? Should we use drums and guitars? Where do we do this? It's gray area kinds of stuff. Or dress. Should you wear a suit when you go to church? Is it okay to wear jeans like I'm wearing? Is it okay to wear shorts or basketball shoes? Like, what is it okay to wear what's not okay to wear. All of these issues are issues of personal preference and personal conviction. None of them make you more or less holy. None of them make you more or less accepted to God. But here's the thing. We tend to say, here's my preference. And if you don't get on board with what I think is great, then you're really not as awesome as I am. God doesn't really like you as much as he likes me. We tend to divide over these gray area issues. The responsibility here we see in Romans 14 is given to the mature believers. Notice it says there, receive one who is weak in the faith. This is obviously targeting and being given to and uh, addressing those who are the more mature believers. They are to receive the one who is weak. And that means to make room for them, to not allow division within the church. And there are two things that we are given here in this section, this first piece, that are the doubtful things that were a big source of contention in the Roman church. Now again, these doubtful things are these areas where there is no clear scripture. You don't have a verse for it. right? There are lots of things that are not doubtful. We've got verses for them. okay? But this is not stuff that you got a verse for or a clear biblical principle. Now, what is shocking in these examples, before we jump into them, just one last thought before we jump into these things. What's shocking in these examples is who's strong and who's weak. This is what shocks me. 
Like when I read this, I expect it to say the opposite. But who is strong and who is weak is what is shocking to me. Now, last week in Romans chapter 13, at the end there in verses 8 through 14, the whole idea of last week was this, that self-denial is one of the greatest means and keys to spiritual maturity. But here's the deal. There's more to maturity than just this self-denial. Because as we look in Romans 14, here the basic concept is, the whole idea is that self-denial is a sign of spiritual weakness. So which one is it? Is self-denial spiritual maturity or is self-denial spiritual weakness? Yes is the right answer. It's both. It's both. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. Both are simultaneously true, even though it's an opposing idea. The Bible has many God-designed tensions in it. And we don't seek to alleviate those tensions. We lean into them because that's how God matures us. There are lots of tensions in the scriptures. You're going to find them all over the place. Like here's one. Does God choose people to get saved or do you choose to get saved? Yes. Yes is the right answer. It's both. And as soon as you pick one and you start to go, well, it's actually this one. Now you're trying to alleviate a tension that God didn't design to be alleviated. God's using that tension to grow you and to mature you. Is self-denial maturity or is it weakness? God's using that tension in between because both are simultaneously true to get you to grow. The tension is what causes you to grow. Now the first one we see is in verse 2. It says this, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So apparently vegetarians are unbiblical. It's obviously not what that's saying, right? The issue really has nothing to do with meat and not meat. The issue has nothing to do with whether you're eating it or not. The idea is about self-denial that produces holiness. In this time, when this was written, uh, meat was most commonly, most readily accessible, most easily purchased through a meat market that was associated with an idol, a temple worship, some idol. So you'd go down to you know the meat market, which was outside of this temple of a false god, and they would sacrifice animals to this false god, and then they would you know have brisket on sale uh, afterward. And you're like, I'll take one of those, and maybe a tri-tip as well. And uh, people are like, I can't eat that. It was sacrificed to an idol. What are you doing? Right? So they're freaking out. Some people are like, I don't know, man. The idol isn't real. I'm just going to barbecue. This is great. Uh, it's discount meat, and so I'm in. You know. And so there's people that are in this position of having an issue about this. And what we tend to do is categorize into better or worse, or even say good and bad, where God looks at it as mature and immature, or strong and weak. And so what it says here is, there's the one who eats the meat, and their conscience has no problem with it because they realize there's no such thing as an idol, and they can say, Thanks for this nice piece of meat, God. And they eat it with no issue where the weak one says, I can't do that because it's violating my relationship with God to eat this meat that was sacrificed to an idol. You see where the division is being caused? You see where now self-denial isn't a strength, now it's a weakness? You see where it's this self-imposed denial that is set up not to honor God, but to puff myself up and to show how holy I am as this outward declaration of my greatness. Notice verse 3, it says this, Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him 
stand. You see, the stronger believer has the responsibility to set the tone and the example within the church by doing three things. That's what these two verses tell us. Three things to do. Number one, receiving the weaker person. Don't despise them. Just because you can eat meat and you have no issue with your conscience, you don't look down on them and say, you foolish weakling. You don't despise them and say, you're so terrible. What is wrong with you? You're on this Daniel diet, only eating vegetables. That's ridiculous. You've been listening to Redemption Radio. Thanks for joining Pastor Cody King in this chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the Book of Romans. We pray today's teaching has both inspired and challenged you in your faith. We also hope that you'll be eager to study God's Word on your own. If you'd like to listen to this message again or hear more from this Roman series, feel free to visit redemptioncalvary.org. Once you're there, just click on the Sermon tab at the top of the page. There, you'll find an archive of previous messages. Redemption Radio is a ministry of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. We're passionate about preaching and teaching God's Word with the utmost integrity. We meet together at 11 a.m. each Sunday. And if you're in or near the area, we'd love to have you join us. You can find all the information you need, including directions, at redemptioncalvary.org. Again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you're unable to meet with us in person, no worries. We live stream our services on Facebook and YouTube. If you have any questions about who we are or about today's teaching, don't hesitate to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. Thanks for being a part of today's listening audience. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single edition of Redemption Radio.